How you doing? Tell me your name again. Remy. Right on. And you're at Liberty University, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's a ton of fun. What What year are you? Um, I am finishing up my last semester for my associate degree. And then I'm going to apply to my denominational seminary with an associate in religion and 10 years relevant experience. Oh, there you go. All right. And hopefully that'll work. Can I ask what your denominational seminary is? What's that? American Lutheran Theological, ALTS. We're Where's in that the at? AALC. Where's that it's, at? Uh, up, we share a campus of Fort Wayne. Oh, that one. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. So, uh, right on. Uh, so just so you know, I'm recording too. And this okay. this audio is just going to go to my uh, my buddy who does all the editing. He's going to okay. splice it up and just kind of put it out raw without any real uh, thing other than to promote you, right? So the more you, you drop your own information here, um, the more my listeners are just going to hear this without having to go find your original one. And then that way they'll know to go find yours if they want more of this content. Yeah, very good. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I just, you know, um, I've been kind of following your stuff um, and we've interacted a few times. Thank you. Uh, I know over like carnivore and some other stuff. And I know right on. Um, you talk a lot um, or have talked a lot about, you know, like time management and, mm-hmm. you know, I see you like Instagram and like beating the sun up and things like that. And it's, um, it's neat. Cause I was really into self-improvement years ago mm-hmm. and um, I've, I found that as like the focus of my life has shifted, um, I run into like a lot of Christians that are scared of the idea of self-improvement mm-hmm. and they, I don't know, I guess we'll talk more about that uh, when we get into it, but. Um, I mean, that's a good place to start. So, you know, whenever you want to go, but okay. the idea that the history of imitating Christ through both the pursuit of a pious life uh, and the pursuit of pious devotion that that leads to self-justification is a, is an error, right? So the, the Protestant yeah. Reformation and the desire to not teach self-justification has sort of forbidden growth. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's it's weird because I get it. As a Lutheran, I'm like hyped on justification. I, like I never want to forget this, that I stand on grace. But I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wallow in the muck, right? That's kind of my catch line. Yeah. I'm not gonna wallow in the muck just because I got the grace. So yeah, anywhere you want to go on that, because my own journey has been one of a lot of failures, constant failures, and some very yeah. very um, uh, gracious luck, uh, desi- divine providence from our Lord, um, just to be able to say, you know, um, yeah, a, a Christian can can put to use their mind and improve uh, without having to make it an an idol. Part of that is recognizing that you're always going to be making it an idol until yeah. you stop, you know, until you repent. So every day that you're trying to improve, you also have to be kind of welcoming the possibility of the opposite reality being what God gives you and saying, well, that would be a gift right. too. And, yeah, and but, that that growth is the real growth, right? But to, you can't, to be able to you take can't, what God gives. Go ahead. You can't run from it though because like a lot of, a lot of guys, um, I feel like they – they run they 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 want to use their faith as an excuse to not ironically to not be a like a better person right right, right. like I, i'm just gonna keep doing what i'm doing because i you know i don't want to 
I haven't met anybody that I know of that's self-awarely doing that. I think mm-hmm. I think that's the nature of the fool. If you look at, at the way that the wisdom literature of Scripture talks about the fool, and I don't pretend to be a master of that, but uh, the fool likes being a fool. He really prefers right. to stay there. It's easier for him. You know, Solomon says that with wisdom and knowledge will come suffering, and so the fool sees this. And he says, well, you know, this path increases suffering, therefore I don't want to take this path. And that's the folly, is to think that suffering is right. a reason not to do something. That's the opposite of discipline, right? The fool despises, despises discipline, um, hence despises discipleship, uh, hence despises mm-hmm. form and growth, and, and, and resists these things. And so what happens, I think, is that immature Christians or Christians who haven't been fed well – I mean you know, malnourished Christians is maybe the better way to say it. Yeah. Uh, malnourished Christians – Having maybe tried their hand at some American dieting or something once or twice are just filled with despair and shame. And mm-hmm. since they know justification by grace through faith, they cling to it over and against what they see to be an unwinnable war against their flesh. And yeah. having been on the other side of that, having having weighed uh, 70 pounds more than I do now um, wow. at one point, yeah. I mean I, I, I know exactly what that feels like. And mm-hmm. it's not like now where I am, I feel great all the time every day. I continue to battle and probably will my entire life some form of cognitive depression um, and uh, as, as well as other <laughs> uh, traumatizing pasts and things. So, yeah. you know, but if we don't face the fact that we have these traumatizing pasts that we don't want to repeat, well, then all we do is we mouth justification uh, while really ignoring much of what our Lord comes to give us in this life and charity toward each other, I think. Yeah. It's and, and the other um, the other swing of it you see too is not not just that that people uh, avoid it. That's a big group. I found a lot of people um, avoid it altogether and will ham fist a religious excuse in there somewhere um, on the grounds of justification. But then you have people that swing the other way that end up being the example for the first group where they do end up making it like an idol. They make an idol of themselves and of their own improvement. Right. And then they fall into the ditch on the other side of the road, you know. Right. Right. Uh, um, what is it? You travel over land and sea and you make a disciple twice the son of hell as yourself. And yeah, that is, yeah. That is fair warning for today. every single Christian that opens his mouth, really. And and we're, we're commanded to open our mouth. Uh, my most recent book, Talk Them Into It, is about how you should open your mouth and talk about your faith fearlessly, even if you've, you know – you're heterodox, like you might make a mistake. I'm pretty sure Jesus has got it covered, right? Uh, do your mm-hmm. best, speak what the scriptures say. Uh, but with, you know, uh, with that said, the fact that we are to speak about Christ, um, there's a place for the Christian to to sit, to listen, to wait, uh, to, to believe that if changes are going to happen, it's got to be from God. But then there's also the place where the God who redeems you in Jesus through whom you only get to paradise by means of Jesus and what Jesus did, and you believing that, that same God created this planet like before that, and he's bringing a, you know, a better version after that in which law and order and hierarchy and relationship and fruit and all this stuff's going to be like forever, right? I mean, good. Yeah. It, it was initially in, in its own way, and, and much of that's still here. And so I just – I don't get – why a, a, a church of the resurrection, a church that believes that Jesus has risen from the dead, 
would look at the created order, especially under the collapse of industrial modernism's just uh, you know slicing and dicing of it into into pieces without any respect for the unseen. Why we yeah. would then not at this time of, of collapse and fragmentation say, wait, 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 maybe we can come to this with a perspective no one else has had because we just forgot about it, which is that yeah. Christians know how to grow in a way that really matters. You know, so yeah, I can I can teach you how to lose weight. That's easy. That's like the yeah. easiest thing I learned in the last fifteen years of my life was how to lose weight. It fell off. Eat ribeyes. That's it. Eat ribeyes yeah. for two months. Yeah. You will gain. You will look like you want to look. Whatever you've dreamed, yeah. it's on its way. Just eat ribeyes. Nothing else. I don't mean eggs in the morning. You know, take some take some salts. You need some salts and electrolytes. But anyway, that's easy. Uh, that's not the hard part. Uh, the hard part is stilling the conscience and the mind in the face of the modern onslaught. That's that's yeah. the hard part, you know. That's where the self discipline is, and that's where the when I get concerned as a pastor about things like sugar addiction, you know, diabetes two and obesity, I'm most concerned about what it does to the mind of the listener, you know, and mm -hmm. how it turns off the ability to discern what's going on in the heart, because that's where the fight is, the inner life. And, and I think most Christians today, you know, under the guise maybe of saying I don't need to self improve, what we've really rejected is the reality of an inner life. Meanwhile, you know, yeah. the market, the Buddhists are marketing that one pretty well. Uh, they yeah, they always say, hey, there's such a thing. <laughs> right? um, so I, I don't know if that's quite where you wanted to go, but. Yeah, no, I mean, no, nailed it. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, so I've been recording a little bit of this. I'm pretty sure you've been yep. on this whole time. Great. Good. That's great. I've been recording the last like six and a half minutes or so, but um, I guess I'm going to go ahead and like gavel an official start yeah go for and, it uh oh did i lose you no i'm right here Do you, did you lose me okay i can hear you i can't see you but i only need the audio so right on I'm, you know I'm, I'm good um all right so uh reverend fisk welcome to the forged in babylon podcast this is the very first interview episode i don't think it'll be the first episode i air but it is the first one i'm recording and it's the first interview so that's exciting that's awesome you need to be Thank like forged in babylon yeah i need like swords to yeah, like, right. come across but yeah absolutely um thanks for doing this man thank you it's, it's my really pleasure cool. and uh one thing i've learned recently is that talk is cheap and we should mm -hmm. do it as much as we can because when you share good words, they just do more good things. And so we should yeah. do this as often as possible. Uh, a ri uh, what is it? A rising tide lifts all ships is an old Latin proverb. Yeah. Very good. Cool. So, yeah, in the spirit of doing this as often as possible, I'm really glad we're now making this a twice daily thing. You and me hanging out. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> I got to spread myself thin, tell you. Tell you. But, <laughs> but like I said, glad to help and, and glad yeah. to uh, talk about what I'm doing, where, where my life is, my journey is right now, and yeah, uh, share yeah. where you guys are. Cool. So um, what what first kind of got you into the idea, I guess, of being um, not just a better Christian, obviously, I think like that's where that comes from, but also being a better man in general? Hmm. Well, that's, that's a really good question. It didn't come the way I think it should. Like recently it's been like, oh, look, I have a son. Hmm. Hmm. He's nine now. Hmm. Golly, I... I thought I was paying attention, but maybe I haven't been right. Like that's that's a really big mid forties kind of moment. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think I think my my journey on what I would call first article theology, uh, God the Creator's creation and how a Christian can engage it, started in two ways about the same time. It was it was early thirties, 
and uh, I was a assist, associate pastor at a pretty large church, uh, not my first place as a pastor. Um, and the amount of calendar workload, project workload, kind of the grind of what modern education has done to most of life, honestly, but, but it it just was – it was mounting up enough where I had – I think the internet maybe has something to do with this too. You know, this is 2000 – man, this is 2011, 12. So, you know, Facebook mm-hmm. is really just getting ramped at this point and stuff. And um, I'm trying to figure out how to handle the information and someone hands me a copy of David Allen's Getting Things Done. And it's like a light one. I was like, oh, wait. You can study this? Like you can pay attention to what you're doing and get better at it. That, why didn't they tell me that in school? Right. <laughs> you know, and they probably tried. You know, to be fair, they probably tried, and I and I wasn't paying attention. Although I got my problems with Dewey-eyed education, I think it just destroys creative learning and whatnot. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyhow, so that it, that was one moment, and the same year, I think. I mean, within the same realm is when I was at peak weight, um, two twenty. Uh, put, yeah, man, two twenty two, and um, and I'm sitting in uh my first kind of just general checkup appointment uh with the doctor. I don't ever go to the doctor. I'm a healthy guy, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, well, yeah, we, yeah. We, we've been here a year. I should have a primary care. I go, I, I do some blood work. He comes in, he says, yeah, in about two years, you're gonna be type two diabetics. Just get ready for it. Go, what? I mean, I'm a, I'm a healthy athlete. I'm a varsity player. You know, I'm all I I'm, I'm I don't have to try, right? Yeah. What are you talking about, man? And that started, again, the question, what happened? And and the fight with, is this original sin and we just, as human bodies, do this? Or is there some other agenda at play or work at play? And I've become convinced there's there's more going on. Um, but that's because yeah. I, I watched the weight fall off my body and, and watched it kind of uh, gain, I don't know, I'd call five years in health at least um, in a matter of, of six months. At least, and then you know, hit target weight, all that. But so, so those two moments, though, again, take take that back a decade, right? Um, Those uh, were huge for me. Something was wrong in a way I did not expect it to be wrong, but the very worldly thing, though, if you think about it, it was a fear of death. Um, Yeah. But then also there was uh, similarly a worldly thing, a concern about um, uh, my name as a producer in an industrialized information economy. And how to make sure that my social name remained valuable, right? So mm-hmm. again, worldly concerns, and yet the, the trick of this whole conversation is the Christian lives in the world. Like you, you're not supposed to let your house fall down. <laughs> it's a worldly concern, right. but you're supposed to put the wall back up, right? And right. so, so you know, and these were big moments for me. Uh, I've I had had a lot of. Um, exposure in my church body uh, as a young man because of YouTube and because I got to ride the early wave of YouTube. Uh, and, and so there were a lot of things coming at me and uh, having to ask questions of, you know, why am I here and what am I going to try to do better now rather than just kind of sit on my theology, um, you know, to be, and, and I want to say that the education I received in, in my, my training for, um, for the field Bar none, I got the best armory anyone's ever been given. There's just no question. The trick is there's a lot of rust on it, and most of it mm. hasn't been tra- – we're not trained to use it anymore. Or like I take it out and right. I'm, if I hand you a musket from 1776 right now, what are you going to do with it? You know, And, and so yeah. it's, it's kind of like that. A lot of our theology is in books like that. So, so the journey of trying to find theologians 
meaning Bible readers who I trust as expositors of the Bible to, to, to help me find my way in the created world. Right? As, as a saint sinner, as a believer in the justifying Christ who believes I still am going to commit sin on the way to the end and I need his help to get there. Um, you know, who do I look to as men of examples of faith and life? Because there's so few of those in the present yeah. age. Uh, and and I, I've realized more and more how many of my heroes sadly have not been Christians. Um, so, you know, you ask, you know, what's the questions that drove me to, act, to be a better man? Uh, I'll jump back to where I started that was more recent is looking at my son and kind of asking, who do I want this kid's heroes to be? Uh, mm. I, I am one, whether I like it or not. So I should own that right. and, and be the one that I would like to see him think I am. Uh, and then I'm going to try to populate what's actually around him with with real uh, ideology. Now, maybe I'm not doing it all right, and we got some crucifixes around, and we got some Captain America around, and somewhere between the two, I'm pretty sure an American Christian has to live. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I don't know, but, but so, yeah. It, but the, what I really want everyone to take from this is that the first moment of inspiration, where you realize there's a mo- that you can get better um, at anything, what will follow will be the, the the choice between wisdom and folly, which is the choice between discipline uh, and, and uh, well, lack of self-control, no discipline. Mm. And that applies all the way into what I would call the second article, that is when we talk about saving faith, that if the Lord speaks to you, Jesus speaks to you, and you don't have the discipline to say amen, well, I mean, the, the same problem's going on there on a much more intense level. And then the more that you listen to our Lord and his apostles, I think, um, the more you find that his discipline doesn't merely apply to some ethereal, idealic realm of which we all just kind of believe we're going to go to eventually, but that right. humanity's redeemed now. And like I have the freedom and honestly the power to sacrifice this body and life entirely uh, for the sake of a kingdom to come. And the only thing standing between me and that life, suffering though it might bring, um, is is uh, well belief, right? Uh, is my own trust in in the words, um, which then becomes yeah. the battle of growth that really matters. The inner life. How do I make? And this is I'll, I'll say it as bluntly as I can right now. My 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 goal is to make my clock the word of God. I want I want my body and my my life to mm. run on a clock that is built around. What Scripture says. That's what the Sons of Solomon. If we want to talk about that at all, at all yeah, night, is about. I, I just recently, I just recently joined that. Cool. Because um, I just got this today, like literally today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're but, holding up the crucifix there, which is yeah. part of it. The goal of the crucifix is to get a a symbol that, in theory, every Christian should be okay with. There's the iconoclastic controversy, which. Frankly, if you're an iconoclast, you're in the minority on this one historically, not just present, but way past. And so yeah. you're kind of holding us up on the ecumenical jive here So for needlessly. So the, the idea is to have a focal point that we can't think is us, which is the, in the crucified man, our Lord Jesus. You know, and, and what a crucifix looks like really is, is up to you. I have one with a black man on it. I have one with a white man on it. It doesn't matter to me. They both represent the actual man who hung on the cross, and the point is that, right? So you know, the Sons of Solomon, we're going to carry that, and then we're going to carry a Bible with us. And with that Bible every day, we're going to pray three or the goal with your discipline is to move past three to four times a day, um, morning, noon, before dinner, and in the evening before you go to bed, to pray the same set of Psalms, a, a series of Psalms from the Ascent, uh, Psalms of Ascent. These are Psalms that the, uh, uh, the intertestamental Jews 
those who were dispersed to the nations would pray as they were going up to the festivals at Jerusalem and looking forward to and hoping for the return to Jerusalem or for the, uh, the build, rebuilding of the temple and then post that on um, the coming of the Messiah. They're, they're marvelous. They're for life it's in sojourn. They're for life in the midst of the exile, which is exactly what yeah. we experience as, as New Testament Christians. And so to build a clock around that for my day, uh, in order to make myself do it, I want to start a national organization, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's I mean, it's, it like, it's accountability. It's right? exactly like, right. That's exactly yeah. right. And what's been so cool to see is across now several denominations, really, mm-hmm. uh, we got uh, Catholic Christians saying, how much can it hurt to pray nine psalms a day together as men about us yeah. being Christian men? Um, and but you know, for me then, why is that important? Not just for me, but for the group. What we're doing is we're putting our our bodies literally on a clock that's distinct from the one the rest of the world's running on, as if it were God. Mm-hmm. The current yeah. the current way we keep track of time is like an oracle. It, we 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 do obeisance to it. We jump when it says yeah. jump, right? And it's it's nuts to kind of watch that. COVID made me like realize like, wow, the clock's kind of a lie, <laughs> you know. And yeah. and you have to play by the game. You got to go to your meeting. Church has got to be at a certain time. I'm not saying you know dump that, but the idea is that there are other clocks God built, and you have power over those. Whereas you have no power over this this technic clock that beeps at you. But you have right. power over when your body prays, and that's a more powerful clock. And then things like the sun, the moon, particularly the sun, though, you know, the, the coming and going of light, to attune your prayers to that. And then that gives you a clock that's cosmic over and against this beeping technical thing, which, yeah, you got to pay attention to it, but it's not a god anymore. And there's such a difference to that. Yeah. I, I can't tell you. I mean, that alone will improve your life tenfold just because it's the word of God in your life, which like, duh. Hello. <laughs> and it's, it's almost like it's almost like you even have to pay attention to the world's clock just because like everyone else is using it. Like, you know, like it's like the reason we learn metric in school, even though we don't right. use it in the U.S. like everybody else does. So like you need to. Well, that'll be the case. I don't think you can completely deta- detach from it. However, right. w- what I what I'm finding is the more that I do this like personal experiment of rejecting modernism, which I kind of am doing, uh, the less anyone seems to notice that I've done it. And everything continues to work fine as long as I'm targeted in my technological approaches. So I kind of think of it this way. I really mean it. Uh, For the rest of my life, I see all technology, every single piece of it, as like unto entering the matrix. So I can go in, but I'm always in danger when I'm in there. And I want to get out. And get into the real ship, the ark, you know, going across the seas of time, uh, which mm-hmm. is the word of God, right? I want to, I want to get my brain out of a story that's being told to me by, um, you know, CNN uh, or Fox, a, a mythology, really, and, and yeah. I want to get my head into a non-mythology, which is the history of the Son of Man who reigns over all things, all right? And, and so to, to see it as the Matrix, even if I've got to do it for eight hours of the day, well, then you better train for that, right? And you better treat yourself accordingly once you get off. You know, don't go just plug back in again. That's kind of nuts, <laughs> you know. And so so my own personal experiment has been you need it far less than you thought. Um, mm-hmm. my, my email, the email is really where it is at for me right now. Uh, I think yeah. I check email once a week right now. I'm not quite sure because yeah. I'm not really tracking it. And no one's yelled at me yet. And That's I can't awesome. believe it, right? And what's yeah. crazy is the less I'm there, the less emails there when I go back. Like the like Google nicely segregates, you know, the sales pitch stuff over to the side and all that. But in terms of like real primary emails, I don't know. There's only like one or two come a week now. 
And yeah. uh, by and large, I handle that outside of email. And if someone really needs something from email, I send the document. I'm done. Right, and we're going to hear from them again. So, so email is 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 like this weird white noise cycle where the more you try to fix it, the worse it gets. It's, yeah. it's really weird. And I'm so thankful to have gradually learned that. Though I, I don't expect anybody to try dropping it tomorrow because it's too scary. It's like everything works in email. Yeah, it doesn't have to. Well, it's it it's like to. the the inbox the inbox zero people fall into like two camps that it's like impossible yeah. to do or that it's super easy to do. And I figured out that inbox zero is super easy to do as long as you don't actually read anything. <laughs> yes, I, right. I probably delete like 10 emails a day that I, I don't even open. Increasingly, right. Yeah. Increasingly. Now, I maintain yeah. inbox zero responding to everything <laughs> for like yeah. seven years, man. God, I really did it. And, and, well, thank you. <laughs> it hurt and it's not worth it. <laughs> don't try. That is my answer. It, it is it is spiritually <laughs> bad for you. Yeah. Like like Twitter, yeah. uh, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Twitter. <laughs> oh my gosh. I no, I can't. I um, my pastor egged me onto Twitter, and I have such a hard time uh, not engaging that um, no, I it's bad. Just, it's bad. Yeah, I'm there as a matrix attack, and I'm there very intentionally and very publicly as a political voice. It's the mm-hmm. only place I really get actively political, and it's because I'm a human being and I have the right to be political. Thank you. So, <laughs> so, but you know, it's it's also the place where I've found the most verifiable news. Insofar as, like, if you can fake it on video, right? Like, I'm gonna fake this video of a cop car driving through New York City with people running through the street, shooting guns at each other a couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago. I'm, gonna, and, you know, and no one do anything about it. Like, okay, fine. Like, so the world's faking those videos and like all over the place. That's the kind of news I want though, is the fake videos from the private hackers way off in the middle of nowhere who have all the apparently money and time to do that as opposed right. to the suppression noise that everywhere else gives you, right? So yeah. I, I see Twitter as a way to get first source news, but you have to go in super careful realizing that like every other third or fourth of it, someone making something up and yeah. even the videos you see are just one more excuse to believe that the whole thing's a bunch of white noise anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's huh? the, the, this election has really done that for me Golly. because I'm like I'm watching people, I'm watching like people with that have ballots that the Scantron machine cannot read, and so a poll worker is doing their job and making a new ballot with the same exact information so the Scantron can read it. Hmm. And I'm watching thousands of people tweet this perfectly legal, normal thing hmm. and say, "Look." Look, it's election fraud. And the, right. the problem is maybe there is election fraud going on. But if we're all talking about the things that aren't, we're going to miss it completely, it. right? There's only, just, to me, there's almost no question that there's election fraud going on somewhere. Right. Somewhere. Uh, how much be. does it impact this? Certainly both sides planted the seeds of it being a possibility. Both mm-hmm. sides make it part of their storyline. To yeah. think that either one of these campaigns is not ultimately Clean. using the same playbook, yeah. you know, they're using the same playbook. I happen to think one of them's pro-life and the other one's not, and that mattered in my vote. But like, I don't pretend for a moment that the tyrants that run the world are really great people who just care. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, like nothing. A... Te- nothing in the Bible teaches me to think that about the world power. Yeah. Huh? Oh, it's like, like it's like oh well oh, well like you know Donald Trump is is mean or whatever. Okay, yeah, I mean that's fine. He's mean. I'm sure Joe Biden isn't nice either. I've seen you plenty know? of video of him snapping at people this past couple yeah. of months. Yeah, and I don't, you know, and everybody does. 
if you Everybody had your life does. on TV constantly, you would be the worst. Pr- so, but that's just it. So the white noise makes it very difficult to get a clear view, not only of the world, but to go back to what our conversation is about of yourself. Mm-hmm. It's very, very difficult to figure out or to believe who you really are, just who the mirror says you are. Most people don't believe that. They live in yeah. some kind of Gnostic uh, pretend dream world that ignores the mirror and then seeks after some sort of uh, spike dopamine fulfillment to handle the fact that modern life is so traumatizing nobody wants to face it. Uh, that, yeah. That's really what I believe, right? And I think Christianity is the ultimate solution to this. So I don't think you just have to go move into the woods or get weird or anything. Um, but <laughs> No Eastern Orthodox here. Well, well, I mean, they're not wrong in the sense that they believe they're separate from the world and they've managed to believe yeah. Christian culture isn't going to necessarily convert every other culture, but to just hold on to the traditions it has mm-hmm. because they last better than anything we just figure out to do next time. And so again, if I can critique uh, the Protestant world in the, in America, this wasn't so much a, a, a European Protestantism thing, but in America, the idea that we're going to change and get new and get better and that's going to yeah. fix Christianity. We just got to get rid of that now. It's done nothing but waste the opportunities we had here. <laughs> we had opportunities yeah. that are now gone because we did that. And to cling yeah. to those things that are eternal, um, again, I'm just always going to point to the scriptures first. I mean, if you're not opening the scriptures every week in your church and having them be read as if they're true, you're, you're not a Christian church. Uh, and we got to stop pretending like that's – I mean, a lot of the ones on the streets these days, that's what you find if you go in. They don't, they don't have that. So to pretend that yeah. anymore, you know. I grew up. I grew up in a in a Pentecostal tradition where the pastor would get up and read one verse, um, in insanely out of context, hmm. and then spend forty five minutes talking about you know like activating your blessing or whatever. Right. You right. know. Right. Just, you know. It's kind of the, I. I probably I sat down in a Lutheran church several years ago for the very first time. Not too close to the front. Not too far in the back. And, uh, I, I probably heard more scripture in that one Sunday than the past 30 years of my entire Hmm. church attending life, Hmm. you know? So, yeah. And to be fair, there are other traditions that manage to hold on to scripture too. And Mm -hmm. I think, I think the white noise of the last few months have shown us that there's a very strong Christian contingent in the Roman Catholic tradition still. Yeah. They're they're fighting hard um, with prayer and a belief that prayer is part of the Christian devotional life and the discipline, which again brings us back to like what I've realized in my pursuit of personal growth is that the only personal growth that matters is not the one I thought I wanted. Mm. It's the one that the Lord chose for me to get and that that ultimately will drive me not to see my own improvement but to see more of the scriptures period that i will just be imbibing of christ's word more and the result of this is that christ's word will be coming out of me more and that improvement is it's one the self experiences and certainly chooses by means of the new man. Like you're not allowed to reject this. And if you do, woe to you. But yeah. neither can you say, you know, look at me, what I've done. It's it's I am but a worthless servant. Uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives, he takes away. What will he give me next? I'll open my mouth, right? And let, let it come in. So I'll swallow whole whatever, whatever word he gives. And mm-hmm. by that, I don't mean the Pentecostal word, which says, you know, go find a passage of scripture and dream about how it might mean something for you. Uh, I mean the diligent work 
of exegetics of studying the text yeah. uh, of paying careful attention to the paragraph and the you know the pronouns you know who's being talked yeah. about when and for what reason and the history and the connection of the old testament when the author of the hebrews tells us to go on past milk to meat he's not saying go on to works or going on to your best life now he's talking about read the old testament like you understand it <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah get in there and 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 know that that's your life that you're the you're the heritage of these tribes now in the present day extended to the nations and and mm. God, man, you know, to me, the inspiration that brings to to finding an identity in a white noise where I don't know, you know, which hero am I supposed to be? Was I supposed to be He-Man? Was I supposed to be Lion-O? I'm supposed to be G.I. Right. Joe? Tra- I don't know anymore, man. And, you know, it, and and who am I supposed to be? Um, I'm Jonathan. Uh, I'm baptized into Jesus Christ, and I live in 2020. And it's a dystopic nightmare. But it's also a first-person shooter. I don't generally shoot at people, but I'm allowed to practice anyway, right? So that's cool. Um, And and then the whole thing is more about like a a wizardry of knowing your spell book better than the world does than Mm. it is anything else. And, And that's kind of fun. If you can gamify it like that. So, but it's also yeah. a cosmic horror reality. We have an archdemon who's behind all things, moving to zeitgeist, a time ghost, to, to, to a great apocalyptic end, which may or may not be perceivable by us before it happens. Uh, but, you know, if it is, it'll only be to watch it all be swallowed in one great moment of glory. And, and again, cosmic horror, like people read books about this because they think it's fun to read about. And Christianity yeah, is like, dude, it. you're living it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, that was you know? that was absolutely the best way I've ever heard Christianity described by anyone. <laughs> well, I mean, and, I don't know. Yeah. As a Gen but it's Xer, not, you're not wrong, right? Like I don't think so. It's the language no, of scripture dead itself. On. Dead on. Yeah. The mythologies of the world are all bent versions of what we actually have. Yeah, absolutely. So and that, that so something I was thinking about earlier while we were talking, you know, um uh Scripture says to set your mind on whatever is good and and all this stuff, right? Like not to not to set your mind on evil things, but you know what's good and holy and this and that and the other thing. But like that doesn't mean like that doesn't mean just you have to you have to read like Leviticus over and over, right? Like there there are there are good things, heroic and compassionate and good things out there too that you can hold on to that you can you know not as a a source of faith but like if you want to set your mind on something good there are plenty of examples of good things yeah in the world yeah you're 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 stealing it right out of my thunder from last weekend so um (laughs) last weekend i found this word agnus in the greek and i'm trying to remember what the text was i found first john 3 3 is where it showed up where John says, proton men agne estin. So, you know, from above, the language of, of being born of water and the spirit, Sophia, wisdom, the wisdom from above, proton, the prototypical, the, the top, it is Agnes before all things. It is good. And then tracing that word, you end up in the text you just referenced there, um, which uh, well, there's actually two of them that sound a lot like that. You have the Philippians 4 text and you have like a Titus no it's not Titus anyway I get the Philippians 4 text in front of me with the notes but so this idea of Agnes why I'm, why I'm, I want to push on it um, is because it summarizes a goodness of this world mm-hmm. that the Christian is to pursue uh, which mm. is not limited to say 
what the incense of Leviticus can indeed teach you about right. the goddess of God's giving you the ultimate worship moment, uh, which frankly, if you don't have the sacrament, you don't even know what I'm talking about. So, you know, that that's there in Agnes. But Agnes also says that this this glory of God, which we experience or receive by faith alone, or the promises of the of the incarnate man uh, feasted upon, uh, that same man who is God made this world. And that goodness is reflected in this world. And so wherever you right. find that Agnes in this world, that laudable thing, that actually good thing, it is not from the devil. The devil does not create good things. So, right. so let me. I, mean, I don't know when when uh, when Led Zeppelin, you know, really starts getting Stairway to Heaven going, and you want to just sit there and go, yes, like, well, they might indeed be hell bent sinners, and the devil may indeed be using that music throughout history in order to deceive people. I don't know, but that guitar moment of good, glorious music is a creative gift of God that He made. And still yeah. reflects him. It's still Agnes. Doesn't mean you necessarily use the song. Maybe the song's so polluted you can't. But you can find there. There is no created yeah. thing that itself is evil. It's only in how we, the evil right. well, men, bend it. And and as reform reform pastor Vodi Bakum put it, that like God was the only one around when he was God, and there's there's not going to be any kind of recount of that election. You know, like he's. <laughs> He's God and that's what it is. And there's nothing that's going to stop him from taking praise and glory in things, you know, like even if it wasn't intended to glorify him, it's still at the end of the day, when the curtain is pulled back, we're going to look at that and say, wow, that was. Yeah. I mean, I would say it doesn't even have to be intended to glorify him. The point of his glory, and this may be my Lutheranism showing over against the reform, but, um, it, the point of his glory is is not that it's like you have to. It's more like when he builds it, it just it just is. Yeah, it just kind of yeah. does, right? And so yeah. his his creation, even though we have bent the heck out of the thing, it still functions the way it's supposed to, and it will continue yeah. to arise to defend itself. Which, mm. by the way, this goes back to the sons and Solomon, sons of Solomon again. If you're really concerned about civilization right now, if you're really worried about the future of of your children and grandchildren will then go back to the structure which God built, which cannot be destroyed by history, which is the family, and actually enact mm. fatherhood in your household, act like what the Bible says about fatherhood is true, act like what the Bible says about motherhood is true, and see if in two generations your your family isn't in fact running the town. There's a good chance yeah. that's what happens, or they kill y'all as martyrs and you get a die glorious, you know, cosmic horror video game death. Get ready for it, you know? I mean, yeah. why would – I, I, I'm so embarrassed about this, so I want to share this. I remember learning about martyrdom and as a Christian and thinking, gosh, I hope not me. I remember yeah, thinking right. that so regularly, and now I still, I still feel it, but, but I'm ashamed of the feeling now, and I don't mm -hmm. like it. And I think of – I'll use another video game moment. I think of the end of the Mass Effect series. I played all through the, the first three games of Mass Effect, and there's this moment where this character you've built over three games has to decide what he's going to do. And he looks like he's going to fight a losing battle, and he runs headlong into death by himself. And you can feel your game controller shaking. The music's playing. It's like you're going to die, but it doesn't matter because it's for good. Well, I mean shouldn't Christians kind of feel that way? I mean yeah. isn't that sort of how we should approach it? You know? And, and I just want that more. Now, I guess is what I'm saying. And, and Agnes summarizes that in so many ways, especially in the way that it overlaps the redemptive glory of God that we believe in in Christ. That is mm. so redemptive that it can leave us here in this veil of tears and we know it's better to leave and we're still glad to be here 
because of other people's need to hear what he has to give. Yeah. You know, yeah, well, it's, 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 uh, it's that whole, like to live as Christ, to die as gain thing, right? Like that's it spot on. It's the, you know, there's great stuff to happen and do here. And if doing and pursuing that, uh, that life and that, that sort of, uh, I don't know, Christ to the world thing, if that, if that has the most negative in for me here, even the most negative in for me here is still like a huge win, right? Like, mm. yeah, it's yeah. arguably and, and better to than see the it positive of state. This, this is why yeah. I like the language of video game and cosmic horror and, and using the Commander Shepard imagery because when I think about, you know, let's use dying of COVID, okay? When I think about, say, dying of COVID initially, I'm like, oh, no, oh, my goodness. And like when I'm out, I'm you know maybe going to be careful, right? But then when I step back and I – I re-enter the inner life I'm fostering through prayer in the Word of God according to the Psalms and, and trusting in Jesus as my justifier. I'm able to say, wait a minute, what happens if I get COVID? What, mm. what could happen that would be good for the life of the world? What's the worst that happens? I mean, I guess in one sense, I, I get really sick and before I die, I'm not able to tell my kids, I'll see you in heaven. <laughs> you know, I, because I get taken away by the government or whatever. But at the end of the day, what happens then? I leave this veil of tears, and somehow, some way, my children are going to know that I plan to see them again and that I have full confidence in Jesus to get them there over and against the terrified world that's shaken in its boots. You know? And, and mm -hmm. would that we had seen a bit more of that the moment COVID hit. It's taken COVID to make me even wrestle with this myself, honestly. So I, you know, if, if I sound zealous, I'm sorry. I, I just have recently awoken on this level a bit. But, um, and I shouldn't say level as if it's an up. But um, coming to terms with your own shame and your own cowardice can have a freeing effect yeah. on you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you can make peace, if you can make peace with like the worst things, then. Yeah. Right. You know, like you're right. You're anti-fragile, right? You're untouchable. Well, and Tim Ferriss, you know, life hacker is really where I got this idea. Fear setting is his thing. You can TED talk it. And he talks about, you know, write out the entire fear and then write out your plan for dealing with it. And well, I mean, those those fears work pretty good, you know, by and large, and I can usually come up with a plan. But you know, recently fears have gotten supernatural, and so uh, yeah. you know, the the plans have gotten well supernatural in response. Thankfully, there's less plan. Um, That's but, so. Yeah, I was about to say that if the fear is supernatural, then like, great. Well, it's already dealt with. Then, it's right? dealt with. So. It's dealt with, and yet the discipline is is all the more. And let, let me put this in the in the crassest and most stark, terrifying terms I can imagine. Yeah. Someday. I'm a pastor, remember. Um, you know, I got I got to care for people. I got to preach every week. I got to got to deal with stuff on the ground. It's probably already happened, but sooner than later, things going to happen in a more radical way. I'm going to be face to face with a human who's not just talking for themselves, mm. and I want to be ready. There are um, there's a history in my church body of some very faithful men who wrote some amazing books. Who I look to as as the nectar of God's confession of faith. Right? They, they, they really repeat what Jesus says in ways that I can imbibe it. And the, the history, though, is a story of them coming to face to face with a situation that involved the spiritual crisis of a man who was not himself and which they could not handle. And they turned him over to uh, some Roman Catholic monks who, the story goes, handled it by praying for a couple days straight. 
which is kind of what Jesus says in the scriptures, which is embarrassing for a church body in a, in a history that's so tied to with the inerrancy of scripture. And we're going to mine every corner for everything. Well, the thing is, when, when push came to shove and skin was in the game, we had a head game for what theology shows as a real life war. Hmm. And I think that's modernism. I don't think that's the LCMS. I think that's modernism. Yeah. And again, I said it already. I'm rejecting modernism because I don't like that, that very idea. And I have begun, again, praying these psalms because I know that if I ever run face-to-face into a demonic assault or maybe my own insanity in age and the loss yeah. of my mind, I'm going to build a clock out of those ascension psalms that I can't forget. So that yeah. when I have to fall back into warfare, I can say, Habo Kimba Joshua Kahar Zion Lo Yamot. Yeah, sure. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. Who are you? I'm nobody, but I know these words. Yeah. These words are about Jesus. And whether or not that yeah. ever happens face to face, I'd prefer it doesn't, honestly. But I'm not going to pretend I live on a different planet than the one where it did happen in the past. And it's only really the communist atheist mindset, modernist mindset. That would convince me that it's not even a possibility. Right? Mm. I should just sit and play my video games and assume there's no problems. Right. Yeah, no, just uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, just just be quiet, be good, clock in, clock out. Well, that's just it. And and I don't I don't think. Look, I think there's some great wisdom in saying we should never desire a face to face confrontation with supernatural realities ever. Like wanting to see God's glory is a bad idea. Honestly, uh, you know, Moses found that out. Isaiah found that out. Uh, so. Job found that. I, Job, I just mm-hmm. I read Job this week for for preaching sake, and you know at the end he's like, I shouldn't have talked. I'm sorry. I, I, did, I asked you to answer me, and I shouldn't have. I was wrong. And God's like, You're right. You're right that you're wrong, and that's why I love you. Uh, yeah. So so not desiring to have any kind of such uh, such warfare, but praying for times of peace, but also believing firmly that the history of uh, the history of the church is not going to be established again by arguing with unbelievers on an intellectual level. Mm. It's going to be established by believing on a supernatural unseen level in the unassailability of who we are as people in Christ. And that doesn't mean best life now. That doesn't mean I have money. It doesn't mean I have health all the time. It means that you cannot change my conscience. You cannot mm. access my guilt. Jesus has it now. And in that way, before you, I'm fearless. And in that way, before you, I'm terrifying. And what you have is the fear of God in you from me, right? And that's why they marveled when they watched Christians burn at the stake. What is going on? I'm afraid of this person. I'm supposed to be cheering, <laughs> right? right. And, and this is the spirit we're promised. And this is the spirit that the Psalter prays for and prays as if you have. And so a lot of this, I think, is also – it's just about pedagogy. It's just about believing humans aren't as strong as we think we are. You program yourself every day with what you listen to. You choose what you listen to. Do you want to listen to Ben Shapiro? Well, then that's going to be your monologue. Uh, mm. I want my monologue to be David's. I want David's right. monologue. <laughs> that sounds good so, since I have his promises in Christ. I was, I was going to ask this question, but I think, uh, I think we have the answer. Um, my question was, do you think Christians, uh, in light of, of Christians worrying about being better people in, in whatever that means to them, for some people, it's, you know, losing weight for some people, it's, you know, whatever, but being better people, whatever that means to them, do we think that like, do Christians have an obligation to be better? And I think the answer is 
Yes and no. Do we have an obligation to be healthier, use our time better, make more money? You know, maybe, maybe not. But we do have an obligation to be better as Christians, right? Like, well, I was I was in along with Job this week because the lectionary uh, that we use. I was in First uh, Thessalonians four as well. Are you guys on the one year? Uh, we're using the one year this year, and I'm moving all the minor observances to Sundays, so we get to celebrate all the stories of the saints and the history that yeah. usually we don't get. It's been really good. But we have a couple of weeks where there's no saints to put on, so we're just kind of doing the end of the church year, which is a lot of end-of-the-world talk, which is great. Uh-huh. Um, so 1 Corinthians see, 4, 13 and following is, is what's appointed. It's all about comforting each other with the words of the resurrection, which is I'm all about that. Um, but – since I'm a Lutheran, I read the context. So I went back and started reading at verse 9 this morning in the Greek and had to slow down because it was like, ooh, that's a tough stuff. And I, I went back to the English and it's like there are so many things where he begins to talk about basic life here. It's kind of stunning. Um, just, this is New King James. Uh, Concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Which is basically saying you're all Christians. You already know not to be jerks. Um, verse 10, uh, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. So this congregation is known for being hospitable. Um, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Increase what? He just told everybody knows you're the best congregation around just because you're cool people and are gentle and kind to everyone. And frankly, don't sit on your duff. Get up and get busy. You're barely mm. started, right? I mean, it's kind of how he goes at it. More and more. But it's not like get off your duff in an angry way. It's like – it's more like do you – you now taste how good it is to begin. Why would you right. not? Why would you not want more of this? Right. And verse eleven, that you also aspire. The, the list of these things here, they come off as as not as well of a, a, a section um, poetically because the English adds some words here and there to make it make sense. But it reads very poetically, like a list of a couple of things with three words each. Da 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 da. But so um, to aspire to a quiet life or to lead a quiet life, um, which is to like not desire attention, not desire even fame. Um, People have that. They have fame. You find out when you have fame, you desire a quiet life even more than before. But really what this is about is peaceability, life in the home. It's not that you would never Mm -hmm. go out and be the great person you got to be for your life, whatever that means. Um, But that the home life is the primary life. So I might be Joe Rogan. I, I'm not. But but you know, if I was, everything that I do out there is is second to when I'm home with my family mm-hmm. and who I am as the father of the house, right? So to aspire to that and for the woman, you know, to be the mother of the house and so forth. Um, but then to mind your own business, that sounds so awful in the New King James, is to be busy with your own, it says. To be busy with your own. And what does it even mean? Well, to be about your own stuff, like like to, to engage it. It doesn't mean to ignore your own stuff. It's to engage your own stuff and then the next line, to work with your own hands. You know, so it's about activity uh, with your hands. As we commanded you that you may walk properly. So the result of these, verse 12, is you walk properly toward those who are outside of you. If people see you as a Christian and you're, and you're just a lazy duff and a jerk – then they're going to blaspheme Christ on your account, basically, uh. what that comes down to. And that you may lack nothing. That is, uh, there is nothing in this life that by and large is not given to the Christian just for free. The exception being times of great persecution and trial where those things are taken from us. And as Job teaches again, uh, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Sometimes it's the end of your life, it all goes away. Sometimes it's in the middle and it comes back. And that's all according to God's purposes for your faith to grow and for the faith of the church and the elect throughout history to grow. And so mm. again— you know, every time we question him, we're just kind of showing our folly at that moment. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that. So that's a stunning thought that sometimes we we go through 
um, go through times of, of trial and, and suffering. And you said like, not just for your faith, but the faith of the elect throughout history of the right, like white, like you have, uh, I guess like, I don't know, like St. Patrick, I guess comes to mind, Hmm. right. And this whole period of like slavery and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's for you. You definitely came to God and all that, but then like, or, or Joseph, you know, this is something that everyone is going to get in on and, you know, get something out of. And like, that can be, that can be a frightening thought that like, like, am I like, going through something, not, not just for my own benefit, but like, what if it's just for my wife's benefit? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a freeing thought for me. Um, Mm. the the fear has to be redirected. So fear is a form of worship. Fear is worship. I think fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's worship. All worship is ultimately fear. The reason why we don't like that idea is because our fear is so messed up that we run Mm. with our fear to idols rather than to God, but the fear of God created perfectly was supposed to make us run to God, right? And, and so really what's going on when you're afraid at any moment, you're not afraid of God. You're afraid of some other thing God created. And in that moment, mm. if you can remember God created it, it, it over time, you're going to gradually at least be able to talk yourself off the ledge of the emotions, you know, uh, and, and you know that this is – God is bigger than this. And because God mm. is the one that truly is, is fearful, uh, you can trust – that the plan and, and, and direction that he set for you is in fact going to be fearfully and wonderfully made. You cannot divert from it to the left or the right according to his promises. You as his elect are chosen to endure and, and do this. I mean I'm not a Calvinist, but I, but I do believe in election. And, mm-hmm. and so while I believe it's possible to fall away, the only way you do that is by focusing on the fact that it's possible to fall away and then obsessing about that while you sin a bunch and hate Jesus, which most Christians have no intention of doing. The other way is that you get really lazy and you forget that you haven't listened to anything in a while. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> just have an eight, right? And so that's that's yeah. where the the modern world is, where our diet has just been so saturated with the other noise. We're, we're malnourished, and I so think. How do you, go ahead, go ahead. How, how do you filter the pagan and heathen nonsense? Then? Gotta start turning it off. I mean, honestly, uh, piece by piece, step by step. Um, the clock of praying the Psalter is sort of, if I'm going to shoot an arrow into the world and say, let's all try this together. I bet you in a year, it gets us further than we are now that that's what I would suggest. Pick that thing up and just do that and let that be enough. Um, don't worry too much about trying to change the world. Don't worry too much about trying to achieve your own completion and suffering in a year and a half. You've got 40 years left of that, right? And God will give you the crosses that you need. So just take the crosses that you have where they are and and maybe um, let them be the teachers that you've tried to make them stop being. You know, my, my habit mm. in the past is always to find suffering and, and resist it or turn away from it. Right. The obstacle be something I try to make the obstacle go away. And again, even the pagans and the Buddhists can tell you the obstacle sometimes is exactly what you needed to find the right path. And uh, mm. so Christians should believe that all the more uh, because we know these, these aren't just obstacles, they're crosses. Uh, they, are, they are the way that the Lord tempers us. One of the other thoughts that came out of Job this week that was just so, so valuable is that um, there's two types of of uh, proving that go on before Satan in the courtroom uh, on on God's behalf through Job. And uh, uh, one of them is the purging away of leaven, right? So you're, you're seeing that Job 
still has the result of natural evil and natural sin and that no matter what, he's not, he's not a righteous man in the sense that none of this could ever happen to him kind of thing. But right. the other side of it uh, is that – and this is really what God wants to do. He wants to show that Job's faith is in fact a good thing that will only get stronger as a result of this, that it, it will not be overcome. And so the more that a Christian believes that our being left here is in fact to improve here – to give it away to others, <laughs> not mm. for our own benefit, uh, the more we're going to find the entire thing being enjoyable. And it's just as simple mm. as that, and it's straight to Ecclesiastes. The, the, the labor is its own reward. It's not what mm. you get afterwards. And so in the, in the enjoyment of the labor, finding that the thief no longer steals but works with his hands so he might have something to share, as, as Paul says in another place um, – that would be the reason to get up and try to be better at what you're doing. I mean, do you hate your life? I, I, I hate parts of my life, but I kind of like a lot of it. And, and yeah. I, I kind of would like to continue making use of it so long as our Lord wants to give it to me. I mean, I recognize the hairs of my head are numbered. I can't add an hour to my days. And yet he's also given me my reason and all my senses. He's, he's As Solomon says, he's hidden these things for us to find. And so I yeah. don't think he doesn't want us to learn how to eat healthy food. I, I, right. I really don't think he's against that idea, right? And so the Christian who who is so afraid and so ashamed of the failures of the past and the lies the mythology of the world brought them to, hmm. I, my encouragement would be just don't give up on the fact that, first off, every day is new again in Christ. And none of your growth in physical things, created things, is in fact going to get you more Christianity. What they are is promised things that under a repentant Christianity can gradually be swept away, at the very least, your acceptance of them. So you can't make trauma go away, but you can face your trauma. You can right. learn to understand your trauma. You can learn to not traumatize others as a reaction and pattern of your trauma, right? And to me, as a father, well, that's, that's a reason to try to get better uh, yeah. everything, you know? Well, I want to thank you for, uh, I think we've used up just about the hour I yeah. promised it would take. I want to thank you for, for doing this. And, uh, you know, it went in such a good, it went to such a good place. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think it was where I originally thought about it going, but I'm glad it went where it did. I think everything I wanted to ask and answer, I think, I think we got through the only only question I have for you uh, left. I am 32 years old. I am a Lutheran myself. Uh, I want to head to seminary. I want to do things uh, with my life. You know, uh, what advice do you have for me as someone who's a bit ahead of me here? Yeah. On the well, there's so many many things I could tell you. I've already told you, start praying those psalms. Uh, the next thing I would say is get into the wisdom literature of Scripture, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and treat it like it's the second most important thing after the New Testament. That you have you have Romans, and you've got John and Matthew, and then leave Revelation for later and read read wisdom. <laughs> you know, uh, please, uh, because you're going to find the world full of fools, and Christians are so filled with folly and. It's not malicious. 
But if your desire is to pastor these Christians in the white noise, you're going to need a special dose of your own level of that wisdom to to, to patiently yeah. endure and then bring them along. So that that would be a, a big thing. Um, I'm not going to pretend for a second that sugar is not a drug that messes with your head and yeah. that life without glucosis is significantly better. Now, that is To be in ketogenic diet of some form radically alters your energy levels um, yeah. and the clarity of your thinking, uh, even though you still have ups and downs and you have foggy moments and all that kind of stuff. Um, it just feels different. And, and maybe it's best summarized in uh, what if you study the science of this stuff, it looks to be the um, – uh, it's the uh, – now I just lost the word um, – the insulin wave, the natural insulin wave of the body when you put the sugar in and then it's basically poisoning you and then you create insulin to go get it, and it takes it out and then that makes you hungry again and you just go through that wave so that most people experience hunger uh, throughout the day. You know, After being carnivore for some time but then um, – hypercarnivore really – but then uh, going to a conference this summer post-COVID after being kind of with just with my family for a while, it was so weird watching everybody get hungry. And how they would act and their attitudes yeah. would change. It was like I was at a party and they were all drinking, only they weren't drinking. I, and I'd never been in that moment before post kind of the ketogenic move. But it just struck me. It's like, look, they just all lost the ability to even have a conversation for the next hour and a half. Wow. That's, <laughs> we, that's weird. You know? And so, so I can tell you, if you want to succeed in life, get that head clear of sugar, man. Get that head clear yeah. of sugar. It will open your eyes. You're talking first article stuff. Um, now, that doesn't mean you never have any sugars. It doesn't mean you never eat any fruits. If you're going to go – I mean what I did was I went hard carnivore for like two months. And I'm not kidding you. I'd been dieting paleo for, for years and my last 20, 25 pounds would not come off. They fell off. I had muscle building without trying. It's ridiculous. So – Living like that's a little tough and very expensive. So after that, but you know, you got to do that to get into the ketosis. After that, you can start bringing back um, some items that you missed to try to supplement and uh, and whatnot. But the the idea that um, uh, the idea of carnivore, if you, if I'm going to pitch it to you, is the ketogenic diet, bar none, scientifically shows that it works. It's really really hard to do, and mm-hmm. eating ribeyes makes it really really easy to do. And so if you're interested in paleo, if you're interested in keto, and if you're trying to find that kind of low-sugar lifestyle, um, it's a great hack to to shove your way into it and then yeah. climb back out into foods testing as you go. Because what I find, again, is like if, if I go eat something – I'll put it this way. If I go eat like two pieces of, of wheat pizza, I'll be fine. If I do it the next night, again, I will not be fine. right? And so I know no. my body has got some limits as to what it can take in and what it can't take in. And, and so – However you look at it, um, sugar is going to be your enemy going forward uh, in your uh, um, uh, body, right? In your uh, nutritional cycle. That's not the right word. I don't sound like a scientist when I say that. Um, That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. You sound like a scientist to me. <laughs> well, I, I would point you to Sean Baker on Twitter. I would point you to the MeetRx uh, podcast for, for a lot of this stuff. Um, that's where the, the the science and work is being done. Um, yeah. uh, Ted Naiman is another guy. So I'm just a dude who follows all this stuff and it's been beneficial to me. And it's, yeah, hugely, hugely to me. What, so my wife and I, I was doing it for a good five months or so. And then we've switched back to including more foods, just financially. Uh, we're at a point where we just yeah. can't, yeah, can't sure. do ribeyes every night. So right, right. one thing I noticed was that 
peak carnivore, I was just waking up at like five, five thirty. Like I would just wake up it's and great, I was just it? ready to go. Yeah. You know, now introducing other things, I'm waking up at like six, six thirty and I'm not quite as gung ho. I used to have a lot of blood sugar problems all my life where I would, you know, like get the shakes and dip in and out. Hmm, hmm. And uh carnivore, none of that. Yeah. Slowly kind of moving away from carnivore. And I found that all that just came crashing right yeah. back in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's well, it depends on how long you're on. So, so what I've heard is that when you get past that one or two year mark, mm-hmm. you really have now fully adjusted. You've fat adapted. And so to go back and have all those repercussions come back, you'd have to work at that and you'd get sick trying to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So what happened is in five months, you didn't really get truly fat adapted. You were in the beginning stages of it, but you needed like another six months of that. And then you wouldn't really wanted to go back. You would have tried and you'd just be like, I don't want this food right now. It doesn't make me feel yeah. good right now. You know? And and it's not yeah. like it's bad. Like everyone else here is fine. You don't eat it. But it's just um, you find that especially the processed stuff, it, it just isn't the same. Um, and to be fair, so it's just for, for fair disclosure on, on my pastor, Sally, I do not eat ribeyes every night. I, I, I wish, I wish I could, I'd rather eat a New York every night than a ribeye. Um, yeah. uh, my wife who has, uh, we've, we've watched her recover from some significant, uh, hormonal and health issues through this. She gets ribeyes a couple times a week. Um, but we do eat a great deal of ground burger because the fat in it is actually good for you. So it's good to get the mm-hmm. high fat. And then, um, you know, cheap meats, cheap, cheap, uh, steaks of various kinds of flank steaks and round steaks and roasts and just all that kind of stuff. Um, and we just we, we bought a home. We're living here. And rather than buy a, um, a new stove for the 40-year-old stove, it's quite, quite a beast, uh, we bought a, a smoker. Yeah, out, outside oh, smokers okay. just to you know cook cook big briskets and the goal is to get economic with it. We have a big family, yeah. um, so how do you do it? Uh, but again, let me let me push back one more thought here. It's really not about eating nothing but beef. Ultimately, what you want to do is have enough red or ruminant meat on your plate, enough ruminant mm-hmm. proteins on your plate that you're not so hungry. You're getting your proteins from rice. Because if you're trying to get your proteins from rice, your body's not going to be healthy. There's just not enough protein in rice and corn yeah. and wheat to get you the proteins you need. And then the problem with uh, you know the fat is not the fat. The problem is when the fat interacts with the sugar and when both of them are going on chemically. And so you got to pick mm. one or the other. Um, right. Yeah. So again, I, I'm not a doctor. I'm a pastor. Um, I do believe that God gave cows special stomachs after the flood, but uh, that's just you know that's just what the Bible yeah. says. Yeah. <laughs> It's fine. Oh. It's fine. Um, cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. This was a good time. Uh, make sure you send um, send a link uh, of your release of this. If you would send it through the refist.com slash contact, it'll go directly to the lady who will put okay. it into Mad Mondays and promote it. And uh, oh, yeah, if cool. you would just tell her that, it, please promote it um, on Mad Mondays. And so I'll promote it right now. Mad Mondays is my uh, easy newsletter. It comes out every week. It's got something from me and something from other people. We're data mining the white noise for information that's pertinent to the Christian life. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's cool. And it's usually very, 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 very real. Um, it's so it's a very good read. Good. That's what we continue to hear. It's yeah. not for anybody who doesn't want to read. I'll say that you are going yeah. to read when you read, read this, but yeah. uh, it is uh, Mad Mondays. You can go to RevFisk, R-E-V-F-I-S-K dot com slash newsletter and uh, sign up there. It is absolutely free. And my absolutely new book, Talk Them it. Into It. If you if you sign up, I believe, for Mad Mondays, you get a free PDF copy of my new book, Talk Them Into It, The Truth About Making Christians. So, yeehaw. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, and uh, you have a wonderful night, man. My pleasure. Thank you. You as well.